0: Pastor Mike ministered along that line of why we're here and just added another plank to that building that uh, Pastor John's been building. And so I want to go ahead and add a plank to the, to the gospel part of it, the, the good news part of it, as far as what is the gospel, what is the good news. And, uh, and we're going to go ahead and add another part to that building today. Praise God. And, and we're expecting great things from the Lord. Would you pray with me today? Father, we honor you in this place. You are so wonderful and worthy. We give you glory and praise. And I thank you for the spirit of God that that is present here to to help us to to deliver this word, to help the hearers to hear. Father, I thank you, Lord, that there's a a sensitivity here to, to your spirit today, to your heart, so that we can catch your heart today. And that when we leave this place, that we would not just be hearers, but that we would be doers of the word that we've heard. So we thank you for it. And we give you glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Go to Luke chapter 2. That'll be a good starting point for us. You might say, Luke chapter 2, are we going to have a Christmas message in August? <laughs> no, it's not quite a Christmas message, but there's something in, in, in the context of the Christmas story that's going to be our springboard into what we're talking about today. Praise God. Luke chapter 2. And Kevin, you can go ahead and put that up. We're starting with verse 10. It says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. So what what he's about to say here is good news. You see that? It's good tidings of great joy. Next verse. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So he's not just saying that, woohoo, there's a baby being born. Well, hey, there's babies born all the time. But there's something that is significant about this baby because this baby is Savior. This baby is Christ. This baby is Lord. So let's go ahead and put that title up there. This is our title for today. It's the good news. Jesus is Savior, Christ, and Lord. Are you with me on that? That's the good news that we're going to elaborate on today. And the way the angel put it on that On that night in Bethlehem a long time ago, he said this is good tidings of great joy. He said this is good news. And what he described was a baby born who is going to be Savior, Christ, and Lord. And so that's what I want to look at. I want to look at those three things, that Jesus is our Savior, Jesus is our Christ, Jesus is our Lord, and really see what it means. And, of course, elaborate the most on what it means for Jesus to be Lord. Uh-huh. Oh, all right. Well, Jesus is our Savior. We're going to go ahead and hit that one first. Jesus is our Savior. Now, it's interesting that the people of Israel, the, uh, they had an expectation in them. You know, the, the, the prophets had prophesied, and they knew about the, the Messiah that was to come, that they knew about this one uh, it's interesting, Jesus is born there in David's hometown, and this Messiah, this Savior who was to come, well, was always uh, talked about as the son of David. And so there, there was an expectation in them of what this son of David would be like. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came into Jerusalem in his triumphal procession, Uh, the, The people were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Well, what does Hosanna mean? Let's take a look. Hosanna means to save, free, or deliver now. Of course, I love the word now in there because sometimes you don't need the Lord, sometimes. Sometimes, Lord, it's not next week. I need you I need you right now. And where this comes from, where this word, this Hebrew word, which is pronounced hoshiana or yashana, but the Greek transliteration is hosanna that comes out of Psalm 118. Go ahead and put Psalm 118 up. Save now, I pray, oh Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Next verse. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Sounds familiar? It's the same thing they were shouting out when Jesus came into Jerusalem. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So so we we see this here, that there was this expectation that when this son of David comes, that one thing he would be, he would be a savior. Well, what, what would he save you from? Well, thank God he saved you from your sins. Matthew 1, check it out. Part of the Christmas story here. But while he, that being Joseph, thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Are you glad about that? Saved from your sins, not left in the mess you were in. You've been rescued. You've been blood washed and blood bought. Are you glad about it today? Check out James chapter 5, verse 20. What else are you saved from? Let him know that he who turns the sinner from the errors of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Aren't you glad you've been saved from death? Glory to God. Saved from spiritual death. Saved from what the Bible calls the second death, which is being thrown in the lake of fire. Thank the Lord, we are not going to have to bake in the lake if we're a believer. Hallelujah. You're saved from death. Check out this next verse, Romans 5. What else are we saved from? It says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved from the wrath of God. Why is that? Because the wrath of God was actually poured out on Jesus on the cross. So by you putting your faith in what Jesus did for you as your substitute on your behalf, therefore that which was poured out on Jesus is not poured out on you. So there will be people that succumb to the wrath of God and never had to. They're paying a price that they didn't have to pay just because they refused to believe. Because if they would've just believed, it's already paid in full. And what a tragedy to go to hell when you don't have to. Come on, somebody. It's interesting as we're checking out what are we saved from. What we see that, you know, the first priority is that the Lord took care of the, the eternal part of things. But you also know that, that God is not just into taking care of the eternal part of things. God knows you got to deal with this life and live through this life, too. So God, in his saving, in his savior nature, is not just taking care of the spiritual side of things and the eternal side of things, but also taking care of things that have to do with this life. It's interesting, there was an expectation in the people when, when Jesus was alive that this son of David, that when he would come, that he would also save us from sickness and bondage. Did you hear what I said? There was an expectation in them that this son of David that would come, this savior that would come, what would save them from sickness and bondage. We see cases in the Gospel of Matthew uh, where, where uh, you got two blind men on the side of the road saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Another case in the Gospel of Matthew. Two more blind men on the side of the road hollering out, Have mercy on us, son of David. You've got a Canaanite woman coming to Jesus and saying, Have mercy. Son of David, my daughter is severely demon possessed. So he, we see the expectation in the people of the day that this son of David, if he really is the son of David, if he really is who we think he is, if, really, if he really is savior, then along with this package, is not just a spiritual saving but also the fact that he can save us from from possession of of, of evil spirits, oppression of the enemy, and from sickness and disease. Go ahead and put up Matthew uh, chapter 12. Check this out. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Next verse. And all the multitudes were amazed and said... Could this be? Oh yeah. Could this be the son of David? Why? Because Jesus was acting like they expected the son of David to act. He was a savior who is not just saving people in the spiritual sense of the word to reach out to them and save them from their sins. Like that woman that came and anointed Jesus' feet and, 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 and wiped his feet with her hair. And what did what did he say to her in Luke chapter 7 he said your faith has saved you. Hallelujah. So yeah, he was saving people in that sense of the word, but he was also saving people in this sense of the word as well. Cuz your savior who gives you your salvation, one thing is clear about salvation as you study the scripture, it is a package deal. It's not just you've got the the salvation of your spirit and everything else is in a different category. No, your salvation is the package deal. It includes everything God's got for you. It includes everything you need for your spirit, for your soul, for your body, for your wallet, for everything. Hallelujah. Jesus truly is your savior. What else? Jesus is the Christ. Now, I know some of y'all thought Christ was Jesus' last name. But we're going to fix that thinking today. Because the word Christ is the Greek word Christos. And it means anointed one. Anytime as you read your New Testament and you see the word Christ, that's what you're reading, anointed one. Anointed one. Now what on earth did Jesus say about him being anointed and the benefit of that anointing? Check out Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Oh glory to God. Let's have some fun with this. Verse 16, we'll start there. This is Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those that are, uh, those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then later on he says something that just got people all upset. Because he said, this day in your hearing the scripture is fulfilled. Yeah. So he was saying, this guy that the prophet was describing. And you can read it right out of Isaiah chapter 61. That's where he was reading from. He said, this guy is me. (laughs) He ruffled some feathers in the synagogue, let me tell you. But but, uh, uh, what an amazing thing to realize Christ as the anointed one. That the spirit of the Lord was upon him. That the Lord anointed him. Now, the the, the idea of uh, anointing in the Old Testament is that they would rub oil on somebody. They would put oil on the priest. If the priest was being anointed for service, they would put oil on him. In this case, Jesus was not anointed with physical oil. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. Now, mm-hmm. Christ being the anointed one, is about more than him being equipped, but it is about him being equipped to equip. Follow me here. Christ being the anointed one is not just about him being equipped, but him being equipped to equip because he is equipped to equip us. The Spirit of the Lord came on him. Why? So he could have a goosebump and say, "Woo! Hallelujah!" I feel the anointing. Oh, yeah. And uh, hey, the anointing feels good. I mean, I, I know, I know the anointing feels good. But God's purpose for anointing somebody, God's purpose for anointing Jesus, God's purpose for anointing us is not just so we can woo feel good. God's purpose for anointing us is not us, but the people that he wants to help through us. See, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. But then that's all he said about himself. Everything else he said was about somebody else. After that, he said, I'm going to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those that are oppressed, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So it's interesting that that we need to have this understanding about the anointing. As far as Jesus is concerned, and as far as, we're concerned as well that the anointing is not for the sake of your goose bump, but the anointing is for the purpose of the people that God wants to help through you, which is why he anointed you. The goosebumps bumps are good side effect, but it's not the end all be all of the anointing. Pastor Sam, our founding pastor, always would say that the hose that brings the water gets wet. And we understand that. But as you're the hose bringing water to people, it's not about you getting wet ultimately. It's about that water coming out the end of the hose that's going to go ahead and serve to quench the thirst of thirsty people. Are you with me? So the bottom line regarding the anointing. Is that the anointing is not for the person who is anointed. But the anointing is for those whom the anointed person is called to help. Well, let me say that again for somebody. Ah, the anointing is not for the person who is anointed. But the anointing is for those whom the anointed person is called to help. Hallelujah. We see this word Liberation. It's one of the key things we see in here that Jesus was anointed to do for us liberation. He set us at liberty. How did he do that? Well, he gave us a spirit. He gave us the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So he brought liberation. He proclaimed liberty to us. It's interesting. But both of those terms you see there in Luke 4, he set us at liberty and he proclaimed liberty to us. Well, how did he do that? Well, he gave us his word and his word is known and James reveals this in his epistle. The perfect law of liberty. Hallelujah. So he brought liberation. What else did he bring? He brought recuperation. How many of you have ever had to recuperate before? Well, there's some recuperation going on because there were some people that lost their sight that needed to get their sight back. And he came to bring recovery of sight to the blind. There's some people with broken hearts. Oh, come on, somebody. Hey, broken-hearted people, who's talking to you today? Good news, broken-hearted people. that in place of brokenness of heart he helps you to retrieve wholeness of heart rather than a heart with holes in it you can have a heart that's whole hallelujah so we see liberation we see recuperation we see elevation <laughs> Wherever the gospel goes in all the world, it elevates people. It elevates men. It elevates women. You know, any other doctrine goes around the world, and there are lots of it out there. Uh, uh, you, you, you see women very oppressed. The gospel doesn't do that. The gospel sets men free, the gospel sets women free. I mean, the gospel is all inclusive. I mean, you, you read Acts chapter two, you see this, that when the spirit of the Lord is poured out in the last days, God said, I pour out my spirit on all flesh. That means all flesh. Tim, can, can I borrow you for a minute? You, you, you got, you got some nice flesh here, man. Come on. You know, see, see, see this all flesh. Okay, can I say it again? All <laughs> flesh. No matter what your flesh looks like, mm-hmm. no matter what side of the track your flesh comes from, the Spirit of God is poured out on all <laughs> flesh. Hallelujah. Thanks him. So there, we said one issue. But then he said, Talks about your servants and your handmaidens. You know what handmaidens are? Girls. Hallelujah. Can I hear an amen, ladies? And then he talks about sons and daughters. So you see, when you got the real gospel going on, that, that's for everybody. And sons and daughters, you think about this, that's, that's covering the age gap too. Where you think, well, when you get to be like... Maybe 30 or so. Well, Jesus started his ministry at 30. So when you get to be 30, then you can really do something for the Lord. But, but, but you, you just need to stay there and not say anything or do anything. Well, not, not according to God and the word. See, that, that, that age gap is eliminated because God talks about sons and daughters prophesying. Hallelujah. This is a little side journey, but it's a good one. Oh, yeah. But, but, but do you see the fact That there's an elevation that comes with the real gospel. Everybody's elevated. Nobody's put down. Nobody's set aside. The gospel's for everybody and it elevates everybody. You know how I know the gospel's for everybody? Because when the angel came to make that announcement there in Bethlehem many years ago, he said, there's good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. So if you as a people... You're in on this. (laughs) Remember God's promise to Abraham? Talking about his seed that would come, which is ultimately a reference to Jesus. That in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Are you one of all the families? Yeah. Yeah. Then that's you. We're in it. We're included. Now what's this elevation do? What Jesus said that he came to preach the gospel to the poor. Good news to the poor is this. In whatever way you are poor, you don't have to be poor anymore. Amen. If you're spiritually bankrupt, he can put righteousness in your account. Amen. If you've got a poor image of you, he can help you see yourself in him. Amen. If you're financially poor, oh, he shows himself as Jehovah Jireh, your provider. He shows to you the father. Now, now think about this. Talking about God providing. Talking about God being the father. You know, the scripture says, Paul said it. Anybody who does not provide for his own, especially those of his own house, has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Those are strong words spoken by the apostle Paul about a man who's not taking care of his house. Now, don't you think it would be insulting to God, our Father, for, him to, for us to ever think about him in a way where he would not care for those of his own house? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That'd be insulting. Because he's the one who had the idea that any human that acted that way need to be slapped real good. So you think that God's abiding by his own rules? You think he's going and holding himself to the same standard that he's holding others to? Absolutely. He's providing for those of his own house. You've got a father and he's rich. Hallelujah. So there's elevation for you in every way across the board. In whatever way you may need to experience elevation, the gospel elevates the people to which it comes. It's good news. And that anointing that's on the anointed one, Jesus, elevates us. Hallelujah. Number three, Jesus is Lord. And we're going to camp here. Jesus is Lord. He's Savior, he's Christ, and he's Lord. Now, what does Lord mean? That's a good place to start. Lord means supreme in authority. Supreme in authority. Now, remember that first verse we looked at over in Luke chapter 2 in the beginning. The angel said that this was good news. Right? Remember? Okay. So now, Jesus being supreme in authority in your life is not bad news. It is good news. Him being the boss and you and me not being the boss is good news, not bad news. See, see, we sometimes have a mindset that, well, there's the, the stuff about the gospel that we really like to hear and the stuff about the about gospel that we really don't like to hear. You know? You, you, you know what I'm talking about. There, there's those particular things about the gospel that you say, oh boy. Yeah, that's right. You had to remind me about that one. <laughs> oh, come on. Somebody got to help me out here. I know I can't be the only one. <laughs> hey. but, but you see... This is an area for our minds to be renewed because that thing that you hear, that particular word, that particular subject that makes you say, ouch, you need to remind yourself that it's good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. Which means if it's good news, then there needs to be an adjustment in the way we're thinking about it. Because if we look at it as good news, because it is good news. And if we look at it that way, we're going to look at it as something we want to hear rather than something we don't want to hear. The word ain't going to change. You know that. (laughs) God ain't changing. You know that. So where's some adjustment going to go on? Woo! Right here. Hallelujah. Check this out. Next slide. If we are in authority, we're responsible for the results. If he's in authority, he's responsible for the results. Hey, somebody. How how would you like to be liberated of that responsibility today? Because you've you've gone a long way down that road, and, and, and your results... Have not worked out very well. Come on. It's all right to admit it because I'm going to admit it. I'll raise both hands on that. But there's only one way that you can possibly get his results, which believe me are very desirable results. Both in this life and in the life to come. But in order to get them, there's only one way to get them. is doing things his way. He's in authority. Now it's interesting, one thing to understand about the lordship of Jesus is he doesn't force it on you. He doesn't force it on you any more than he forced it on the first man and the first woman in the Garden of Eden. He could have programmed them to be the robotic worshipers. Yes, Lord, we serve you and we worship you. Oh God, you are God and there is none like you. We do everything you tell us to do because we are programmed to do so. God wasn't into that. No more than you would be into that in human relationships. Wives, can I talk to you? Or ladies that are thinking about what you want in a man when you do get married. If he's programmed to love you. Yes, I will do the dishes now honey yes I will put the children to bed alright the dishes are done the children are in bed time for a foot rub honey now some of you ladies might think well that robot sounds pretty good right now but you Know in your heart you don't want somebody robotically programmed to love you. You want somebody to love you because they want to love you. Which is the very same reason why God created man the way he did. Even though there was a chance that man was going to blow it, which he did. But God didn't want man to love him because he had to. God wanted man to love him because he wanted to. Which is the reason why even with the lordship of Jesus and even though ultimately there is a day coming where every knee will bow. And you can go to Philippians 2 while I'm talking about this. uh, There's a day coming when every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And that is involuntary. There's a day coming when whether you like it or not. Whether the devil likes it or not. Whether every demon he's got likes it or not, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will bow and will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now is the season where you can do so voluntarily. And voluntarily is better. Because if you have to do so involuntarily, I've got to tell you, it's not the non-spoken section you're going to. It's the seriously smoking section you're going to (laughs) if you're doing this involuntarily. So you got to do it voluntarily for the sake of your eternity. But, But he's not forcing you. He's not making you. You know, he owns us. You know what a redeemer is? A redeemer is somebody who bought something back. Well, who got redeemed? We did. That means he bought us. The Bible calls us a purchased possession. The Bible says that he redeemed us with his own blood. His blood was the currency that was used to buy us the product. And we are his purchased possession. But even though he bought and paid for you, he's still not making you do anything. So this submission to his lordship is not a forced thing. One day it will be. One day, whether you like it or not, you have to bend your knee. But right now, it is absolutely voluntary. Philippians 2, here we go. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see this in verse 11. We see that we acknowledge him as Lord with our mouth. In verse 5, we acknowledge him as Lord with our mind by conforming our way of thinking to be like his. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we acknowledge him there as Lord by conforming our mind To think like he thinks. And then verse 10, we see that we acknowledge him as Lord with the bending of our knee, the ultimate action of surrender and worship. We can say it this way. I don't just say that he is right. I don't just mentally acknowledge and mentally agree that he's right. But by bowing to him, I am submitting myself totally to his being right. You can say it like this. I'm not just mouthing him. I'm not just minding him. I'm bending my knee to him. I'm giving him my whole person. You can say it like this. I confess him with my mouth. I conform my mind to think like he does. And I bow my knee to him, which indicates my total surrender to him, not just my mouth, not just my mind, but my whole heart. Or you can say it like this. Confession. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. That's how you get saved to begin with. Romans 10, 9 and 10 shows it to us that if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. So the confession of the mouth of Jesus' lordship is certainly step one. And then you got confirmation. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're conforming our mind to start thinking like his mind. Pastor John's taught us on Wednesdays about the renewing of the mind. So we see that as a, 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 another uh, step of acknowledging his lordship. We're confessing it with our mouth and then we're are adjusting our mind to think like he thinks, but then there's concession. That's the point where you concede. Where you say, I'm not fighting anymore. <laughs> I'm not playing tug of war with God anymore about anything. I concede. I take the posture before him of bended knee and i recognize him as lord i recognize his lordship and i submit myself to his lordship you you know that to do this right is to do it in every way that means holding nothing back. But if there's a few areas that we can really highlight today, one would be our relationships. Our relationships. You've got relationships that you enter into, uh, business relationships that you enter into, romantic relationships that you enter into, and uh before you get involved in either a business relationship or a romantic relationship, you know, for those are good examples, uh, do you consult with the master's consulting firm? Do you take the time to consult with somebody who's right about everything to make sure that you're right? To make sure you're doing what he recommends that you do. Because if you're not doing what he recommends you do, you're automatically wrong because he's right about everything. See, this is easy. If you see it one way and God sees it another way, guess who's wrong? This is easy. This ain't hard. And you know what the Bible says about this? We read it in Luke 2. This is good news. Him being Lord is good news. Him being Lord is good news, because the pressure is off you to try to make results happen, yes. to try to make something turn out right, exactly. by thinking hard enough and doing hard enough and, 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 and connecting the dots and you know all this kind of effort. you know, this idea of being the self-saved man, the, the, the self-made man pardon me and, and look, look at what I was able to do and uh, what I accomplished. As opposed to doing it his way and to be able to say, look what the Lord has done. Yes, right. Yeah, you might be the self-made man, but you know what the Bible says? The Bible says there's two ways to gain wealth. One of those ways, First Timothy chapter 6, describes it as the love of money, which is the root of all evil, which if you take that road to get wealth, the Bible says you will pierce yourself through with many sorrows. Yep, you're the self-made man and oh, look at all the money you got in your bank account. But, but your wife, if she's still around, doesn't like you very much. Your kids don't talk to you. And you have bad health and you are a mess. But you're rich. But there's another way that's called the blessing of the Lord. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. Now think about this. You got one way where you're piercing yourself through with many sorrows. Think about this. You're piercing yourself through. I mean, you're taking a sword and sticking yourself with it. What a miserable existence. But you go God's way. Hey. (laughs) No sorrow with it. That means your wife loves you. Your kids love you. You ladies, your children rise up and call you blessed. Hallelujah. No sorrow. Which is interesting. Because, uh, I mean, here we are talking about relationships, but we started talking about the next one, which is our finances. By the way, one more thing about relationships. Romantic relationships. Can I go there? You know I want to. (laughs) I'm going to say this. It's amazing to me how in the church you've got people that think so differently from the way God thinks about something. You know, it's interesting to me. I'm going to go there. And if it doesn't fit you, it's all right, but I think it fits somebody in the house. You can't get away from it, so we're going to go with it. There are some people that have a negative view about marriage. Because as far as they're concerned, they've seen so many marriages mess up that they're bent against marriage. So they think, well, if I go ahead and get married, then I'm going to do my relationship. How many of you know somebody who thinks that way? That's why people shack up a lot of the time. Because they say it's, it's easier to just do this because, you know, uh, it's like if we go and get married, we're going to go ahead and do more relationships. We'll just keep it as it is right now. And then besides that, you know, why buy the cow if you're getting free milk? Oh, Lord. <laughs> That was a good place to take a water break. <laughs> but, but, but think about this. It, it, is the problem with marriage? No, the problem's not with marriage. As a matter of fact, uh, I like to say it like this. The problem's not with the institution, the, the institution being marriage. The problem's not with the institution. The problem is with the crazy people who have been institutionalized. <laughs> So the problem is not marriage; the problem is crazy married people that haven't done marriage God's way. Glory to God! Hallelujah! So that's just a little bit of extra stuff there about relationship. Let's get back to finances. Let me pull out my wallet here. See, some people come to the Lord and and, and, and you know. Um, it's like, yeah, Jesus can be my Lord in piecemeal, <laughs> And you come to the Lord and sing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, I surrender all except my wallet to you. Come on now. afraid of. You think God's trying to take away something from you? You think God's trying to take away your fun or take away your money? Let Faith Christian Center know for sure that Almighty God is not trying to take anything from you. He's trying to get something to you. Glory to God. Besides our finances, our attitude toward others, one thing that has been very much impressed in me lately the importance of forgiving and the importance of not judging. Did you hear what I said? And when we assume role of judge, you know what you're doing? You're assuming role of Lord. Because the Lord is the judge. But you aren't Lord. I ain't kneeling down to you. He's Lord. Let's read just a few verses that that can help us in this area of, of not judging other people. Now, here's the thing. You can be a fruit inspector. If the fruit's rotten, don't eat from the tree. So you can clearly see someone's actions and determine if the actions are right or actions are wrong. What you cannot do is can you cannot judge the intentions and motives of a person's heart. That's the thing that's going to have some bright light shined on it on the day of judgment. You can clearly delineate between good actions and bad actions, right actions and wrong actions. But judging a person's heart is a matter that you can't touch. Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So every time you're tempted to judge, it's real easy. You think about the day you're standing before him. And you say, oh, Lord, the way I'm doing it to other people is the way it's going to be done to me. All right? It, you can't say he didn't tell you because he did. Go to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. This is out of the, uh, uh, the English Standard Version. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. So real easy. If the Lord ain't come yet, don't do any judging. And then after the Lord comes, I think you'll be smart enough then to realize you're not the one to do it. He's the one going to be doing it. So this is good. A few more verses to help us out. This this is rich. We're going to take a look at this one. In two translations. James 2. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Next verse. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, if you're showing no mercy, you'll have judgment without mercy. But if you're showing mercy mercy triumphs over judgment. We're going to take a look at the New Living Translation of this. This makes it so clear. So whatever you say whatever you do remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. That's the law of liberty that we talked about earlier. Next verse. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. you so, you know, at this time, those are several things that, that, that were on my heart that I wanted to kind of pinpoint. But the Lord may be pinpointing something in you that I've not hit, but you know he's dealing with you. And you know when it comes to the end of a football game and there's a few seconds left and the the offense got the ball, what, what do they tell them to do? Take a knee, right? I think we need to go ahead and hashtag this today. Take a knee. You can confess him as Lord with your mouth. You can even mentally agree that he's right. But he's really not Lord until you take a knee. He's really not Lord until you concede. He's really not Lord until the point where you say, I'm not going to go ahead and fight with you and argue with you, Lord, about this anymore. I'm not going to resist you on this. I'm going to yield to you because you're right. I know you're not trying to take something from me. I know you're looking to get something good to me. And I know, as I said when I first came up here earlier, I know that you're trustworthy. So therefore I can trust you. Someone say, take a knee. Take a knee. Yeah, you can you can talk it. And talking it's important. We need to confess Jesus is Lord. That's how we get started. To conform our mind, to think like he thinks. That's important. But you know what? You don't want to just be found mentally agreeing that he's right. And yet, while you're mentally agreeing that he's right, you're going and doing the same old thing you've been doing. The ultimate of the submission to his lordship is when you take the knee. When you say, concession. I concede. I surrender. Withholding. Nothing. Hallelujah. Somebody give God glory today. Amen. Lord, we honor you. Will you bow your head? Close your eyes. Father, we honor you. We give you glory. We thank you for the the goodness of God here today. And Lord, we we thank you that you're stirring up our hearts to to recognize our need, to know you as Savior, as as Christ, the anointed one, but to, to submit to your lordship today. Lord, this is good news. And we're so glad for this good news. We're so glad that that we can be free from the burden of having to do anything by ourselves and that we can go ahead and enjoy the fact that rather than trying to take it into our own hands we can put it in your hands and by so doing get the results that you so desire for us to have. Hallelujah.